Welcome to Expert Gold Radio, which shows you how to leverage your leadership. Here's your host, Gahan Pereira, for this month's show. Welcome to Expert Gold Radio for April 2013. This month we look at how to put technology into practical use in the workplace. It's one thing to have the latest and greatest technology at your fingertips, but it's another thing altogether to make sure that it's being used to make yourself and your teams more productive, more effective, maybe even happier in their work. This month's feature interview is with technology consultant Donna Hansen. She's an expert in exactly this area. So Donna talks about the leadership challenges of integrating technology into an organization. And then later in the show, I'll bring you a conversation with my friend Chris Padney as we talk about how to run effective online meetings. So let's start now with the conversation that I had with Donna. Hello, this is Gihan Pereira. I'm here with Donna Hansen today, and Donna helps organizations become more productive with their technology. Now, a lot of people are saying that they work in the same area, but I'm really interested in this conversation because Donna's got some really fascinating insights and a lot of practical experience in this area. And I've known Donna for a long time, almost 15 years now. And one of the things I really love about what she does is that she's really great at blending these, uh, the, the big picture and the details with high level strategy, but also practical action. And she's always been very results focused. And that, and that comes through in her passion for making sure that the training sticks and makes a difference. It's not just something to do in the workshop room, but it's something that actually uh, goes through the whole organization and that people really take, take on board. And especially wanted to talk to Donna about that because it's so important for, for both sides, for both trainers and the organizations that they work with. And I reckon now there's a really significant issue that leaders face with technology in the organizations. And really, I want this conversation with Donna to be about as much about the leadership challenge as it is about the technology challenge. So welcome, Donna. Thanks, Gihan. Lovely to be with you. Yeah, great to have you here. And as I said, we've known each other for a long time. And I remember when we first met, I think we were both doing a lot of detailed technology work. So I was doing a lot of web design and you were doing a lot of Microsoft Office training. And I reckon we've both shifted our focus since then. And you're now much more focused on the importance of of continuous learning in organizations with when it comes to technology and productivity. So just tell me a little bit about how the shift happened and, and why do you think that that idea is so important now? Uh, Gihan, that's a, it is a really great question. I think if you were to go back 20 years and, and I'm sure you can go back that far where you would have seen your own clients, organisations that uh, had maybe one computer in the office. I know when I first started work, there was one computer between four of us and every now and then you'd go there, do a little bit of work, go back to your desk and push some more papers around. Well, in the course of probably the last 20 years, we've gone from sharing a computer to one on each person's desk in in every office to now having multiple devices and the importance of this is is not to be lost because what's actually happened is the technology's become more and more integrated into our business practices and particularly now we've got uh, you know iPads tablets smartphones people now lo- no longer have a single device they have multiple devices to access and work with their data and as a result the way that we need to learn has to change too. So what what we actually saw was a shift from our clients wanting to send staff off on training courses. They were going, you know, this is the way we need to train our staff because that was the only way they knew how. Not realising that with the introduction of new technology means that uh, – 
they're having to um, have multiple devices. How do I use one to the other? And and the fact that learning is so quick, fast, immediate with the internet and everything as well, it just means uh, that we're wanting stuff more quickly, uh, but now we've got more tools to do it with and it complicates issues even further. The other key thing with that, Gihan, is it's one of those things that unlike when you go into an organisation, if there's you know occupational health and safety legislation, organisations will be focused on training their staff in the procedures because they know that there's legal impl- implications and, and hip pocket damage if they don't meet certain regulations or criteria, etc. But there was no such guidance with technology. And, and I guess you might say, well, you know, why do you need that? Well, um, a couple of years ago, Medibank Private did a report on workplace stress. And workplace stress encompasses so many different things and just one single component is the volume of work that people have to deal with. You know, organisations are downsizing, staff are expected to get more done in less time, you know, and um, they're given the latest technology. And what actually happens is they get very stressed and in a lot of cases, Medibank Private found there was uh, absenteeism which is the obvious people not coming to work because they're stressed, sick, etc., or the opposite, which is presenteeism, where people are actually coming into the workplace, but they're actually disengaged. And that both of those two things, Medibank Private found, had an impact on organisations. And they found that it was costing employers in Australia around $10.1 billion per year and an average of 3.2 days per annum per worker was lost in workplace stress. Now, as I said, that doesn't just mean technology that encompasses all sorts of workplace stress, but they're frightening statistics and I think they're only going to get worse. Wow, you're right. That's a $10 billion problem. It's certainly something that we should that we should address. What, what sort of organisations do you think this relates to, Donna? Is it only big organisations or is it small businesses or what do you think? Gihan, to be perfectly honest, I reckon every business, absolutely every business. This is vital information to startups and it's even more impactful or more um, has a greater effect on organisations that have less staff because they often do stuff. It takes a period of time to do something and people don't realise that that time doing something actually has a cost to the business. So, And the cost could be, for example, um, we work with sales teams. Uh, the sales staff are actually in the office preparing uh, Excel spreadsheets, filling out budget reports and things like that instead of being out on the road talking with clients and generating a revenue. So these are non-productive sort of uh, sort of items. And, you know, by trying to make do, it ends up costing us more. And um, often the solution that organisations think is going to be the answer is just to get the new technology. So they'll go out and buy the latest and greatest. We had organisations that we worked with that um, when iPads first came out said, look, we're getting all these for all our sales sales staff because it's going to make them so efficient. They did that, but it all fell in a hole because they never actually combined that with training to show them how to use it. So there was a lag time between them picking up the new technology and them actually becoming productive. But on top of that, there was also a disconnect because the staff felt like, um, you know, the organisation was committed to spending money on stuff but not on investing within the people within the business who are the business. Uh, given the history, you've worked with a lot of people, probably thousands of people, 
who are actually doing the nitty-gritty day-to-day work and actually using the technology daily. And as you said, sometimes there's a disconnect. Why do you think that is? Because presumably the managers and leaders actually do want to do the right thing, and yet somehow they're, they're failing in that. I think sometimes organisations just roll along and the busyness sits in, you know, trying to maintain their uh, their brand, their positioning within in a market. Maybe it's um, just trying to keep afloat in some organisations. Um, for example, we had one client and I met with their, uh, their IT department and their staff were complaining about how difficult it was for them to open and read information that was coming from their customers because this organisation organization an international organization was still running office 2003 and uh, the problem was their clients were sending data in 2007 and 2010 and people weren't able to open it it was taking a lot of time etc and I was talking to the IT department and I said to the IT manager I said look let me just put this to you what impression is this giving to your clients when you're saying spend on our product, which is worth, you know, several hundred thousand dollars for one unit, and you're saying to your clients, but we're not prepared to invest in our business and we're not prepared to be state of the art, leading edge, that sort of stuff. So those sort of things are dangerous. Sometimes we just roll along and there's an element of where you need to be seen in the market and what your expectations are in regards to your customers. So it creates an impression. Um, and, and I think a lot of people are starting starting to recognise the importance of, of that and that people will make assumptions about not just the technology you use but how up-to-date you are and, and they measure you by that. So that's, a, that's interesting, Donna, because I've got a challenging question for you here. Let's, let's take this example that you just gave me. So first of all, you've got an organisation where they're equipping all their sales staff with the latest technology, such as iPads, because they want to be uh, leading edge and you're saying, okay, they, they're making a mistake there. And there are other organizations who are still stuck back in you know, 10 years ago with their technology and they haven't upgraded the new thing uh, to the latest and they're making a mistake as well. So, so what's the missing link here? What's the big thing that managers and leaders and organizations are missing? What's the underlying cause of the problem here that reconciles those things? I think the key thing here, Gihan, is the fact that people are always looking for the quick solution. So we see this every day in weight loss advertising, you know, Jenny Craig, all those sorts of things, which I'm sure are fantastic. But the thing is, they don't address the underlying issue. They just address one element of it. And what we're looking at here is an organization that says, let's implement the technology because that'll solve the problem. And then there's another organization that says the technology we've already got is efficient enough. Why, if it ain't broke, why try to fix it? And what you need to do is is meld the two and, and recognise that there's some middle ground there, but also added to that, you need to add the human element. No longer can you disregard that because there's human input and there's human stresses uh, get involved when you're you're changing hardware, you're changing technology. People feel uh, people don't like change. Human nature is not to like change. We like things habitual. We like things regular. We like a routine and a structure. And by uh, staying where we are, it keeps the status quo. Uh, and by implementing something new, it upsets the apple cart. But something new is good when it's combined with the back end, the human element. So I think that the human element is what's missing. Okay. Okay. So what do you do to fix it? How do you, how do you bring the human element into this technology and productivity challenge? 
I think that gone are the days where um, organisations can just go, oh, we've identified that somebody needs to know how to do Excel, for example. They need introduction to Excel. These days, most of our clients have staff that are familiar with Word and Excel, but they don't know what they don't know. And the trouble with sending people off on courses is that's the way we've always done it. And you go off to a course and there's eight topics in a day, two of which you probably have no relevance to anything you do, and uh, two you may already know, and then you've got to sit through the rest of the day. And then you've got to go back and relate it back to what you do. These days, because everything's changed so fast, so that was the old way, when we only had one computer in the office that we used every 10 minutes. Now we've got so many different avenues for learning open to us. So we've got courses, um, you know, Everybody I'm sure that's listening to this call at some point or another has gotten onto Google and Googled a question. They've used the help feature. You know, they've asked friends, they've asked somebody else in the workplace. So there's all these avenues that are available to us that when, you know, Microsoft Office first came out, wasn't available. Those tools weren't available. There was only the one, mo- one method or modality that you learnt by, or if you were lucky, there was a dummies type book out there. But now there's so many different options, and because we're so connected with technology, uh, you know, in smartphones, everything's 24-7 access. So we want the answers now. So we can't wait when we're told by HR we have to go to a training course, and that's in six weeks' time. You know, we've got six weeks worth of frustration we need answers now so the key I think is becoming an organization where you have a structure of training and you recognize the importance of technology to your productivity to your competitive advantage to reducing costs to increasing output and um, you're able to say okay well across the course of the year these are the key things our organization needs and here are some different ways that we're going to deliver that and by doing that you're providing learning opportunities within the business and allowing people to engage in a way that's appropriate for them rather than going everybody's going off on a training course when some people don't like that sort of environment. I'm sure you're familiar with um, the principles of adult learning. So, you know, some people will go along to a training course and they'll just sit there and they'll just go through the motions. They won't ask any questions. They'll just sit back and they'll reflect. Other people like to read information and that's how they learn. Some people like to do stuff. Some people like to communicate. So the trouble is so much of our training in the past has been focused on um, activity-based training, people doing stuff but it's not really relevant stuff. So I think we've got to look at how we go about doing it and recognise that we need to have short, sharp, ongoing in order to um, maintain momentum and build your business and build the skill sets of your staff. I guess these days with technology, it's a bit like the old mobile phone, you know, most of us, uh, you know, for a long, long while there, all we used to do was answer calls on it and make calls on it. Mm. But that was only a tiny, tiny proportion of its functionality. Now look at what we can do with it and how we embrace all of that. We've got to do the same with, with technology and our productivity. We've got to change from the old way of dealing with things because we need to change. But we're frightened of change, but there's a greater cost if we do nothing. I'm curious, Donna, what what your experience in this is, because you said earlier that you that now you can offer different ways of learning, and it's more than just sitting in a training room and more than just attending a course. What are you finding is working? Are you is it webinars? Is it online courses? Is it video conferencing? 
That's a really good question, Gihan. And I think what we're doing these days is we've got a, um, I guess the uh, the easiest way to describe it is just a, a menu of different tools and recognizing that you can no longer go to a client and say. Oh, I do customer service training or I do um, um, Microsoft project training or I do this. You've got to go and listen to your clients and say, well, what's going to make you most productive and what sort of tool is going to fit in with your organizational environment? So for some of our clients, it might be we do some three hour classroom training. For others, it might be that plus some one on one coaching. Or it might be webinars or it might be an online resource library. So we've got a, a membership-based library where corporates can go in and staff can access um, information rather than have to contact the help desk every time they have a problem. Or it could be follow-up resources where they do a workshop and they get um, reminder information for 12 weeks following the session. So it's a matter of listening to what the client outcome is and then determining what of the tools in our toolkit we've got that would give them the result that they need and you know what works for for client a may not necessarily work for client b but i think gone are the days where you can be a one-trick pony you need to have multiple mechanisms and and be able to mix and match because clients expect that now they don't they don't want to um, go to a schedule and 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 book in they want want it customized they're prepared to pay for it but they expect it to be customized to their needs. That's interesting, Donna. As you're saying that, you just reminded me of something that a friend and colleague of mine and of yours, Matt Church, yes. has often said because he's uh, he's about developing thought leaders. And he said, thought leadership is about what you know. It's not about the way in which you deliver it. So he says, don't, don't position yourself as a coach or a trainer because then you are the way that you described a one trip pony. You might be a trainer, but training may not be the, the only mode in which you need to deliver some education for a particular client. If you say client A might want 80% training and 20% coaching. Some people may want some mentoring in there. Some people may want online resources. And it really is about being flexible, isn't it? Absolutely. And you need to be a bit of a chameleon because you need to change your approach according to who you're dealing with. Like you're going to present your information in a different way if you're working with um, uh, coalface staff to if you're working with an executive team. And I guess, too, it's very easy to get into that commoditizing of what you do and having clients compare you to somebody else. And we're very focused on making sure that um, our clients can never compare apples and apples. We like to think of ourselves as comparing apples with highly priced bananas. <laughs> That's great. And, and I think, um, Warren Buffett, uh, the, you know, the stock share trader investor out of the US that I'm sure you're familiar with. One of his quotes is, price is what you pay, but value is what you get. And I'm quite comfortable now talking to our clients and if they say, you know, oh, that's too expensive, saying compared to what? And being okay with saying, well, you know, if, if that's your issue, if you want to tick the box type training, then you're probably best to go here or here because we don't do that. We focus on productivity outcome focused solutions. And I think having clarity around your core market and being able to go, bang, I know exactly what that is um, means that you're more likely to attract your your ideal clients. Yeah, look, I'm glad you brought up that point, Donna, about actually how people react to this or respond to this. 
because often that's the role of HR, isn't it? And I've, I've read your great little ebook, The HR Hero, which I should say is available free at thehrhero.com.au. And obviously they're saying that HR managers, and they're often the people who are given the responsibility for doing this, and they're just maybe told from above or from the CEO and the board, you need to implement this. But now, is, that, is that fair and appropriate? And can a motivated HR manager really take on board this new way of training? Or you know, do they have the resources to be able to do that? Or are they in some ways constrained by what's available to them? I think they're often uh, constrained by uh, the fact that they have tight timelines and that they're charged with so many different things to do. And I think that uh, in order to avoid getting it wrong, they just keep doing what they've always done and hoping for a different result. And we all know that that doesn't work. Um, they have to try something new, but they can't afford to risk because, uh, you know, they, they've got so much to do. You know, having to go back and pick up the pieces is very hard. They also don't have the necessarily have the knowledge. They just know that what they had in the past wasn't working, but they don't have the time, the knowledge or the expertise to be able to go exploring for something that will meet their needs. And that's, I guess, where we come in. You know, we, we talk to HR professionals and, and that's a large majority of our market and we work directly with them and basically become their outsourced IT training department. So we've got clients that any time an IT need comes up, a training need comes up, they shoot us an email, they go, can you talk to this person about this? Can you find out the best solution for their department and come back to us? And what we do is we have a conversation, we work out what's needed and we throw the costings back to them and 99% of the time it's just a matter of a rubber stamp and you're off and running. And it's a trusted partnership and that's the sort of relationship that everybody should be looking to build with their clients because that gives you A, continuous um, opportunities coming in, B, it helps you build a greater reputation and C, when uh, they get a phone call from a competitor uh, which they undoubtedly will, there's no way they're going to step away from you because you provide them something unique that no uh, scheduled off-the-shelf type provider can give them. Okay, so I'm just curious to know what, what your experience is. Are you finding that when you deal with HR professionals, do they already know what they want or are you doing a lot of education for them and saying, look, here are some other opportunities that you may not have thought about? Generally, what happens is there'll be a performance review and something will be identified. That's often the way something comes up. Right. And um, and when they do that, they just go, oh, well, where do we go or what do we do? And, and sometimes they'll ask around the office and we actually get a lot of referrals from people who've um, left some of our clients and gone to other organisations and they've actually taken us with it. So I love it when I hear that, you know, our connections and organisations are leaving because it means they're going to take us somewhere else. Um, and, and you know, it's it's about going, well, okay, um, you just know that there's a need there. So identify the need and then come to us and we'll help you work out what the need looks like and we'll help work out what's the most viable way to solve that problem. And by viable, I mean not necessarily um, dollar cost related, low cost dollar related because we're not about, you know, cheap, but about buying what is the best outcome, what's going to give you the greatest return on investment. Yeah, look, this is interesting, Donna, because some of the things you're talking about doing, which are you know, beyond just attending a course, they're the sort of things that Gen Ys are kind of 
principal Gen Ys won't tolerate just attending a workshop and they get bored with it and they just won't sit there and be lectured to all day. But also, they're also the sort of people who might be on top of a lot of these blended learning environments and online video and webinars and online courses and online membership sites. I wonder whether you've got any comment about whether you're finding that HR professionals are actually getting a bit of advice from the the, the more junior uh, Gen Ys in the organisation about how they should be doing training. That's interesting because um, I think most of the clients we're dealing with uh, would be um, n- not of that ilk, not of that era, not the Gen Y era, mm. but we do have some administrative people in those teams that are, and you're quite right. They start to identify different ideas, but I think that um, there's still an element of people being involved in HR being um, HR specific. Uh, and I still think that there's a um, still a focus on um, classroom-based learning with anything HR-related. Uh, and I think we're just starting to move away from that. But I think within an organisation, and we've certainly seen it with a couple of our clients that have um, really, really experienced um, large uh, cuts to their staffing levels and budgets as a result of the GFC and um, you know they're embracing other technologies because they just don't have the dollars to be able to put in and 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 commit to some of the bigger projects so being able to provide low-cost short-term solutions like our webinars for example uh, being able to send along a staff member to one of our corporate webinars you know we run a, a schedule and we run a corporate webinar once a month that's designed to to meet those organisational needs and you know that that's being uh, embraced by our clients and the feedback has just been sensational um, there isn't an expectation that'll replace classroom training but the idea is you know if you can be on a webinar and you know like your own they're fantastic in a short space of time if you can't pick up one two or three things you know, you'd be hard pressed and, and yet you could go off on a full day training course back in the old days and that might have been all you walked away with. Yeah, and this is a really interesting comment on that. I've heard other people say something similar in terms of like, the impact of the GFC and people just tightening their belts and cutting costs. That as much as you and I would say you should be doing some of these things because you can actually get a better educational outcome, some people are doing it because they're forced to do it and then to their surprise they find that they are getting better results so then instead of traveling somewhere for a meeting they might run something by video conference and then they're just amazed at how good the technology is how how well it works and how productive they are because they don't have to hop in a plane they don't have to pay for travel and accommodation and they get things done in an hour which might have otherwise taken a day or two out of their lives well here's an interesting story i've got a client who's in regional victoria and uh, she's a hr manager and she was saying to me it's cheaper for her organization to fly her to sydney for a one-hour meeting than it is for her to drive down to melbourne to attend a one-day training course so I, i think the whole dynamics is shifting and i also think that um yeah we just need to look at things differently you look at things in the same way and you expect different results it's it's just the definition of insanity wasn't it einstein that said that <laughs> and and we've just got to change and this is one of the things we've got to change you know um i i think that um we have to we have to help organizations because this is a hidden cost to business and one of the things that we 
we also try to drive home with our clients is the fact that, you know, a lot of organisations see training as something that they can cut when times are tough. We've really prided ourselves on the fact that when times are tough, you need to have IT training more than ever because you've got less staff who need to do more and you also want to keep them connected. You don't want them stressed out and, and leaving the workplace um, through, you know, absentee, being off sick. And certainly the other thing you don't want is for them to uh, leave your organisation completely because, you know, Cali Services, a big recruitment company, did a, a study a number of years ago that found it can cost up to three times a person's annual salary to replace them. Wow, so you hadn't heard three times. I certainly heard that it cost them one time the annual salary. It cost yep. them as much as it does for 12 months. But now you're saying it's stretched yep. out to 36 months of salary. Absolutely. And when you think about it, that makes sense because you've got the advertising cost. You know, if you're using a, um, a recruitment firm, you've got the, you know, the placement fees, etc. And it doesn't matter if the person's been there longer than three months. There's lost productivity because when you get somebody coming into an organisation, it's usually three months minimum before they start to um, integrate and understand and, and uh, add value to the bottom line. So there's all those sorts of things. And, and, and yet there's the other side of the coin where, um, you know, if you stick your head in the sand, as some organisations do, uh, it can really cost your business in ways that you never thought of. And, you know, I, I'm talking about technology and in, in particular the, the um Borders and Angus and Robertson situation of several years ago, they basically saw Amazon and uh, the ebook market growing and said, no, that'll never replace uh, the physical books. And um, they weren't necessarily interested in moving into that market. And by sticking their head in the sand and believing they could continue to do business the way they were doing business, um, got them put into receivership. So, I mean, it doesn't matter what business you're in these days, doesn't matter what it is, you can't afford to put your head in the sand and just hope it'll all go away because now stuff's hitting us faster than ever and particularly with technology. Stick your head in the sand and if you think, um, you know, doing nothing is just going to keep the status quo, in fact, what it'll only do is, um, is make you worse. So, I don't know if you're into basketball at all, Gihan, but Pat Riley, who coached the LA Lakers to a number of um, championships in the NBA, one of his um, quotes is, uh, if you're not getting better, you're getting worse. Yeah, see, look, and I, and I love this conversation, Donna, because we're talking about what, what I really think is a leadership challenge. It's not about technology. It's not about productivity. I mean, it is at some level, but really it's all about leadership. And we just talked about a basketball coach or the, the leadership of Borders or the leadership of Angus and Robertson. And it, what we're talking about here, although it might look like superficially how you train people to run to do their technology, it's really about leadership, isn't it? Absolutely. It's a top-down thing. And if you don't get that buy-in, if you're getting the, the blame, the blame game where they're blaming the people that are further down, um, you know, the, the administrative chain and saying, well, you know, they haven't got the right skills, but they're not equipping them. Well, then how do they expect to achieve their goals? The only way that they can do that is by cutting the dollars. And that's what we're seeing in lots of organisations. They're just going slash the numbers. That's how we're going to fix the problem. Well, yet, it does, but it impacts on service levels. It impacts on branding in the marketplace. You have um, an organisation that says, oh, they're going to cut 300 jobs. 
all of a sudden people start to think, well, is that organisation stable? And that impacts both on employees, uh, on um, staff that have been retrenched or made redundant, but more importantly, that in, that impacts on investors and the marketplace. So, you know, that's when you find things like, uh, you know, shares share prices starting to drop because organisations are cutting numbers or in the other instance, share prices might go up because people are going, well, we've got less money, to, less um, people to employ, so we should be making more money. Yeah, yeah, absolutely right. Absolutely right. So, look, Donna, I'm sure that we've talked about a lot of things here, and I'm sure there's a lot more that you can do to help to help organisations not only put it, put this into practice, but maybe even just open their idea, uh, open their eyes to the opportunities that are available to them. So, before we finish off, I really do want to to find out from you what sort of clients you like to work with and what you do to help them. And I know we've covered some of that already. And of course, very importantly, how they get in touch with you. I'm sure many people will want to. Fantastic. Well, ideally, Gihan, we deal with HR and learning and development professionals who have been charged with dealing with IT training, but it's really not their area of expertise. And ultimately, what we do is go in and look to create a partnership in in the long term. So we're not into go in, deliver one day and, and nick off. We're about having an impact. We don't do box ticking or accreditation, uh, and we believe training's meaningless if it doesn't increase profits, reduce costs, increase competitive advantage, and, it, and if it doesn't engage and encourage staff to stay, it's not worthwhile. We want to give them the mechanisms to do their job. So, um, you know, we're, we're always looking to help any organisations who want to achieve that goal. And the best way to contact uh, me, Gihan, is uh, either through our website, which is the three W's, Prime Solutions with an S at the end, .net.au, or shoot me an email, Donna at Prime Solutions with an S at the end, .net.au, and I'll be happy to do anything I can to help. Great, great. And, you know, the other thing is, Donna, like you and I both know a number of other speakers and trainers and consultants who work with organizations who need this sort of, this sort of uh, impact and they, they need to work with you and Prime Solutions. What sort of things should they be looking out for? Like, what do you think would be a trigger phrase or something? If you hear somebody say this, then you need to contact Donna. I think the trigger is, you know, uh, things like old technology. We're implementing new technology. You know, we've got these staff and they just don't know how to use Excel or, you know, why is it that we have one staff member that it takes them five minutes to do something in Excel and another staff member it takes an hour? And all those sorts of inconsistencies are costing an organisation money. So anything around uh, tech technology and um, anywhere that you can see that there needs to be a process improvement. And, you know, our goal will always be to make our clients look fantastic and make their job easy so that they come back to us and they say, look, I, I don't know what we ever did without you. Great, great. And I know I mentioned the, the little ebook, the HR Hero. Is there anything else that you want to add about that that you'd recommend for someone to get? Other than the, the fact that I think it's something that, you know, everybody is welcome to pass on. You know, it, it's my gift. It's something that, you know, it's perspective. And I think it's an important perspective that we need to consider moving forward because, um, Gihan, I don't know what the future holds as far as technology is concerned, but I do know with every single day, everywhere I go, there's something new to learn and something new that's happening in business. And it's happening faster than ever and you can't afford to keep your eye off the ball for too long. <laughs> and I know some people get worried by that and get stressed by it, but I know you and I are excited by it. 
Oh, yeah. We're excited about helping other people get excited about it as well. So, Donna Hanson, thanks so much for your time and your wisdom and for your insight. Thanks so much. Thanks, Gihan. Great to talk to you always. I hope you find that useful. Now let's turn our attention briefly to another important technology, social media. In particular, I want to talk about how leaders can use social media effectively. It's not just for marketing, it's an important part of positioning yourself and your organization. And the problem is that most business owners and business leaders spend too much time with too little return on social media. And that's usually because they're engaging in social media activities that might feel good, but they don't really bring the right sort of results. So I reckon instead of spending more time on social media, it's better to spend less time but to do the activities that position you as an authority. And many social media experts will tell you that the only way to succeed online with social media is to be constantly engaging with your customers, monitoring their online conversations, and responding promptly to their concerns and problems. Look, I reckon that's important for some businesses, and especially for people in a customer service role or a marketing role. But if you're a leader, whether it's a thought leader, a business leader, or a business owner, you should be using social media as another channel for your leadership not just for your customer service or marketing. And your job as a leader is to think about strategy and then to communicate that strategy effectively to the people who matter. It's not to engage in idle chatter with anybody and everybody who wants to follow you. If there's one thing that will make the biggest difference to your social media presence, this is it. Use social media for distributing content, not just for having conversations. In other words, stop thinking of social media as a two-way communication channel where you listen and you respond and engage in every little conversation. Instead, use it mostly as a one-way communication channel where you speak, share, and distribute your key strategic messages. Now, I've got to tell you that this is a radically different way of viewing social media. It's the exact opposite of what many social media experts say. So, do be prepared for some pushback and some resistance from your marketing team or your social media consultants, perhaps even your own product thinking. But keep in mind that this is about leadership first. Marketing is about meeting your customer needs. Customer service is about keeping your customers happy, but leadership is different. For example, leaders don't spend all day chatting with customers and employees. Leaders don't spend all their time looking for ways to get more random people to become followers, friends, or fans. Leaders don't necessarily care whether their messages are liked, as long as they're effective, and leaders don't engage in shallow, meaningless conversations and chit-chat all day long. Now, that's not to say you can't occasionally do any of these things as a leader. Of course you do, but they're not part of your main focus in your daily life, so they shouldn't be part of your main focus in social media either. So, as I said, this is different from what many other social media experts say, but I'm saying it because it's an essential part of content marketing, which is marketing through providing high-quality content. So, I hope you take that on board. And if you'd like to know more about this, I'm running two practical one-day workshops in Sydney coming up in May. I'll show you how to set up your content marketing plan quickly, easily, and effectively, and then use social media so you distribute your messages. So the first day is about putting a content marketing platform in place. We look at things like blogging, special reports, article writing, and connecting to social media. And then the second day, we look at making your ideas more visual. So you look at things like video and slideshows and PowerPoint and infographics, animation, those sort of things. And I've designed the two days so you can come to one or both of them, or whichever suits your needs. If you'd like to know more, go to gihanperera.com and just click the links on the right-hand side of the homepage. That's G-I-H-A-N-P-E-R-E-R-A dot com. 
Now let's look at online meetings, something which is becoming more common now as more people work away from a typical office. So whether you're meeting with clients, colleagues, or even your competitors, some of those meetings might take place online. So you need to know how to run a good online meeting. It's not easy, and some of the skills are different from physical meetings. In a recent podcast episode with my friend Chris Padney, who's co-author of our book Out of Office, we talked about 10 guidelines for being effective in online meetings. So let's join that conversation now. The, the problem with online meetings is that most in-office workers know how to behave in a meeting and they, they, they don't necessarily do it very well, but it's even worse with out-of-office workers because technology gets in the way, people are unfamiliar uh, being in an environment where the other people aren't, aren't physically present. Uh, this is something that I do cover in my book, Best Practice Conference Calls, so I might as well put a little promotion in there uh, while, we're, while we're speaking about it. So you can go to betterconferencecalls.com uh, and you can get the whole book, but you can also download the one-page etiquette guide, which, uh, which covers the 10 tips that we're going to cover uh, today and the idea of that is you can download it print it and share it with anyone else that you're uh, that you're going to be meeting with so that they all follow the same sort of etiquette so we've got 10 tips as i said and we're going to take them in turn so why don't you kick off chris no worries. Well, the first tip uh, is probably one of the first things that you need to do. It's all about setting up for your call, finding a quiet environment that has good call quality. So obviously you need things to be quiet so that uh, you don't have intrusive sounds getting into the call. So if you're taking the call in an office that has a door, then an obvious thing to it to do is to shut the door so that uh, sounds from outside the office don't get into the call. However, it's important to be mindful of the effect on acoustics that shutting the door might have. And I know I heard in a recent podcast that you did with someone else, Gihan, that you mentioned that in your case, if you shut the door to your office, that uh, it results in your voice sounding a bit hollow and echoey on the call. Yeah, that's exactly right. So I, I need to keep the door open and make sure if there are other people around uh, that they're, they're quiet and they know that I'm on a call. Exactly. So as, you, as you've said, in addition to leaving the door opened or closed, depending on acoustics, let other people in your office or in at home, if you're taking the call at home, know that you're going to be on a call. Not just that you're, you're working uh, because they might... Uh, might not interrupt you, but actually that you'd like them to be quiet whilst you're making this particular call. So you might have signals like, if the door is shut, then I'm not to be disturbed. If I've got a headset on, I'm not to be disturbed. But those signals aren't enough. You need to let them know that you're going to be making a call so that they're extra cautious about making noise that might penetrate into the call. So if you're at home and you've got other people around, like your kids downstairs, or you happen to be blessed with pets that like to bark in the garden, and those kinds of things, you need to take measures to ensure that noise from those sources uh, is unlikely to penetrate into the call. Also, domestic appliances can be a problem. So it's probably not wise to put a load of washing on just before you're planning taking a call. Uh, if you've got a cleaner or a gardener who's going to be uh, operating a vacuum cleaner or, or running a lawnmower, you don't want to be scheduling a call at those times either. That's noise from outside of your office. Uh, within the office, you want to make sure that you isolate any sources of noise there. So, for example, if you've got a squeaky chair or a desk that happens to make a noise when you uh, when you move about, then you need to try and make an effort to keep keep still and minimise those sources of noise as well. Now, when it comes to the technology that you make the call with, then our recommendation is that, if possible, use a landline. It's 
still better to use a landline than to use a mobile phone or a cordless phone because with mobiles you still run the risk that you might get dropouts or um, or buzzing in the background that that uh, disturbs the call. Also, if possible, use some kind of uh, voice over IP technology like Skype, just as we're doing now. The reason there is that Skype is pretty reliable these days and it's uh, digital audio and so the call quality is superior to the analogue audio that you get on a landline. And while we're talking about mobile phones, um, switch them off if you can um, or put them onto airplane mode. Switching them to silent isn't quite enough because even then they might vibrate and that's still a fairly noisy operation that can be heard in the background when you're on a call. Take any other phones that uh, happen to be in the house off the hook so that uh, they won't ring and disturb, disturb the call that you're making. And if you're not using your PC to make the call, so if I'm using my PC for, at the moment, for instance, because I'm using Skype, but if you're not using it, then switch it off. If you do happen to be using it, then shut down clients that you don't need, like email and instant messaging clients that might beep and chime in the background and create noise, and also uh, might serve as a distraction and tempt you into multitasking. If you're making a video call, then you also need to be conscious of the video quality as well as the audio quality. So check the background, make sure that the lighting is good, don't position yourself relative to your camera such that you've got a bright light source in the background, so a window or a bright lamp. And also check that you've tidied up your office. You don't want, I don't know, to have a mess on a desk behind you that uh, other participants in the call might be wondering uh, what kind of organisational skills you have. And also check your personal grooming. Uh, it might be easy for you to crawl out of bed in your PJs without having brushed your hair and had a shave, uh, especially if you're a man, uh, and get straight to work. But if you're going to be making a video call, make uh, make some basic effort to be a little bit presentable. Yeah, wow. Okay, so there's quite a lot that we have to cover in terms of environment. But once Absolutely. you get once you do it a couple of times and you know the sort of environment that you need so uh, you don't get distracted or you don't get caught by surprise. And so the next thing is like what, what happens when you actually get to the call. And the, the next tip is really to be on time because it can be very frustrating if you're if you join a call and other people haven't arrived, particularly with an online meeting, because it's not like you can sit around in the conference room and just have a little bit of a chat uh, like you would do when you're in an in-person meeting uh, and especially get in early because if there are any technology problems, you can check them, make sure that you've got your backup plans in place and sort out any technology before the official time, time of the meeting so that you can start on time. So even if everybody isn't isn't there, uh, we recommend that you start on time unless you know, sometimes it really isn't practical. If there's only a couple of people there or if there's some key decision makers who aren't there or people who are making presentations, then of course you have to wait, but try and make it a habit to start and finish on time. And just be aware that if you're an out-of-office worker and the people that you're talking to aren't necessarily out-of-office workers as well, so they might be in the office, they've just got a very much more fluid and flexible view of time. So from the time they arrive in the morning into the office to the time they leave, they kind of see that as one big, long period of time, and they might have meetings scheduled at certain times during that during that day, but, you know, if, they, if they're a little bit late from a previous meeting and they turn up to the next meeting a little bit late, it kind of doesn't matter as much to them. It, it should, but they, they're kind of a bit more flexible around that. Whereas you, you want to be 
there, you, like you're working your way privately and then you want to be there when the call starts. You want to be, you want everyone else to be there at the same time. And you, when the, when the call finishes, you may have some other work to do. So just be aware that uh, they may, that your other colleagues might have a more relaxed attitude to its punctuality. So first thing is make it really clear that you, that you'd like to start and finish on time and also be there on time so that you don't set a bad example yourself. Indeed. Our third tip is about staying silent while waiting for the call to start. So the idea there is to allow the other participants of the call to make the most of the time before the call actually formally begins. So avoid the temptation to start socialising and talking with other people on the call or even talking about the content of what it is the call is going to be about. Just let other people get settled, sort out their technology and get ready for the call so that when the time to begin uh, occurs, everyone's ready and prepared to go on. So the way to do that, one of the effective ways to do that is that uh, if you're making an audio call, then just mute your microphone and you can get prepared. And if it's a video call, you can also pause the video feed. So then we've talked about what happens before the call. So once you get on the call, uh, tip four is to identify yourself and address people by name. So when you first enter the call, announce yourself. So depending on who's in the room, you may want to talk, uh, you may want to announce yourself with just your name, with your name, title and organization. Or if it's among people that you generally know, you can just say something like, hi, it's Gihan here. So people know that you're on the call. Uh, just be careful about other people on the call as well. So if, if there are uninvited participants on the call, then just be be careful to get rid of them and just politely ask them to leave before the call starts. And if you do want to invite other people who weren't on the original agenda on the original meeting list, make sure you've organised that beforehand with the chair or the organiser. Um, if there are people that you've invited that that you've brought along uh, with permission, then you may want to invite uh, you may want to announce them as well. Although they would probably uh, introduce themselves. Uh, during the call, and we'll get into what we do during the call in the next few tips, but during the call as well, don't just assume that everyone's going to recognize your voice, especially if you're speaking to a group where there are some new people or even one new person. They may not always recognize your voice, so always identify yourself before speaking. And all you need to say is something like, it's Gihan here, I'd just like to talk about this, or it's Gihan here, what I think is, or whatever. So if you are not specifically called on by name, make sure that you do identify yourself when you speak. And if you do call other people, uh, particularly to answer questions, then address them by name as well. So you, you might just say, Chris, what's your opinion about this? Uh, th- and that does two things. So one is that uh, people know that Chris is going to be the next person speaking. So if Chris forgets to announce uh, his name, then everyone knows who it is. And secondly, if I say that at the start, if I say, Chris, what's your opinion on this? And I say Chris right at the start, then Chris is kind of alerted that he's going to be asked to speak next. So he can be thinking about his responses and asking my question. Very good. Our fifth, uh, fifth point is probably obvious, but it bears uh, emphasizing that is be polite. So obvious things like not interrupting or speaking over people whilst they're, call, uh, whilst they're speaking and also, you know, not making personal attacks on people who are in the call or people who aren't present on the call either. Uh, conversely, uh, because uh, because of the flow of the conversation uh, means that you're not going to be interrupting and people can't see you necessarily and realise that you might have something to say, uh, pause frequently so that other people do have a chance to uh, make comments or ask questions and aren't drawn into interrupting you or speaking over you. And finally, bear in mind that conference calls are likely to be recorded. So anything that you've said about colleagues or interruptions or rudeness is possibly going to have been recorded for posterity. 
Yeah, and the thing with recording is that you just got to be aware that even if the conference call is not officially being recorded, any one of the participants could privately be recording it, whether they whether they announce it or not, or even whether it's legal or not, they might be. And so you just got to be careful careful of what you say, which is much less likely in an in person meeting, because generally what happens in the meeting uh, stays in the meeting, except for what gets recorded uh, in terms of discussions and decisions in the minutes. So you just have to be careful about what you say, but you should be polite anyway. The, the other thing to be aware of, and this is a technology thing, is at uh, uh, tip number six is mute, use the mute button when you're not speaking. Uh, I've heard deferring advice about this. I've heard uh, some people say you shouldn't use the mute button because it's nice to have that background noise and feel like there's there are other people in the room. But I think, uh, and in general, uh, we'd recommend that you do, when you're not speaking, turn your microphone off uh, or mute your phone or or if you're using other technology, just mute your microphone. Uh, either that or just be very quiet so, so there's no background noise, nothing else interrupts the call. Uh, just be careful, especially if you're using video technology, because there's some of the video technology like Google Hangouts, which I've been using quite a bit. What Google Hangouts will do is it will show uh, all the little pictures of the all the participants in the call, and it will fill the screen with the with the picture of the person who's speaking at the at the time, and that can even happen if there's background noise. So if there's a bit of background noise, Google Hangouts will put your picture to the front, even though somebody else might be speaking, and that can be a little bit annoying. And especially if you're trying to record that uh, to make to to create a, a product out of it or to keep it for future reference, just having different pictures pop up uh, for no for no apparent reason can be a little bit annoying and frustrating. So we recommend uh, mute mute your microphones when you're not speaking. And conversely, don't forget to unmute when it's your turn to speak. That's I've right. I've <laughs> been on calls where there have been uh, sort of sections of dead air where people have been happily chatting away and then realise that they haven't unmuted. And that is part of the, the opposite argument, which is that if you always leave your microphone on, but you're quiet and you make sure that you have got a quiet environment, then you don't have to worry about that problem ever occurring. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, look, it, there, there are pros and cons, uh, but in general, uh, we recommend mute if possible. Yeah. A seventh tip is to avoid distractions. So don't start tapping away on a pencil, with your pencil or humming or sighing, even if you have picked up our previous tip of muting. It's not a license to start making noise and fiddling around with things just because you think it's safe to do so because you've muted. Also, if you use a headset, as I do, I learned this the hard way, avoid sort of adjusting and fiddling with it or even touching your glasses because that leads to, that gets picked up by the microphone and creates an awful background noise that others can hear please don't eat snacks or slurp coffee or (laughs) consume beverages uh, during the call i've been on a couple where that's happened Uh, people haven't muted and it's really quite nauseating (laughs) also uh, avoid uh, uh, make sure you turn off call waiting if you're using a landline that can result in a series of pips being heard by all the other participants of the call and don't press the hold button because everyone gets to hear the beautiful hold muzak (laughs) finally with video you need to think about distractions of a visual kind so things that might be going on in the background like people passing by your office or if you've got a a window visible people passing by or traffic going past uh, that can also create a visual distraction so during your setup, think about how you've positioned yourself and your camera so that you've minimised the possibility for those kinds of distractions to occur. Good. So the next tip, number eight, is avoid multitasking. 
So make sure you do have your email turned off, you've got your phones turned off, and really give your full attention to the call because it's surprising how off, uh, how easily participants can detect when you are multitasking and uh, they know when you're not paying full attention. I heard somebody recently describe this as uh, when they're on a phone call, they hear the other person going into their email voice and their email voice is when they, so you know that the other person is checking email. So they, they seem to be or they pretend to be uh, attentive to you, but you know that they're off checking email and you can, de- and you can detect that and people do detect that very quickly. And because we've been using phone for a long time and even if you haven't been using conference calls for a long time, people do detect that pretty, pretty quickly. Um, if you do have to multitask, then uh, make sure it's muted. So if you do need to uh, get up from your desk and move move away or talk to somebody, make sure you mute your phone first. As, as you said, Chris, don't don't go on hold, but mute the phone uh, so that so that the background noise doesn't get in the way. Uh, and just one uh, warning about video: it's very very easy for people to see when you're multitasking on video. So even if you're just looking at your screen, but you're looking at another window, people can see your eyes, and it's quite uh, quite surprising how how noticeable that is and how people do notice that you're no longer paying attention to them. It's just that they no longer see you looking in the same direction that you were looking at before. So you should be looking at the video camera, but they can detect very quickly that uh, you're looking somewhere else. So where I've done things like uh, when I'm on a call, uh, on a video call, and I need to look at notes, uh, I will even say something like, look, I'm just going to check my notes so that when people see me looking down, they know that I'm looking down at my notes and not trying to do something else at the time. Okay. Tip number nine is to stay on track and ensure that private matters are taken care of outside of the call. So if something's going to involve only a subset of the participants on the call and they need to make a discussion privately, then make sure that it's uh, dealt with outside the conference call. It's not part of uh, the track that you're focused on and it's really a waste of time. Uh, Also, you know, just because it's convenient and you've got a person that you want to speak with there on the call with you, uh, don't hold a side conversation with them. It's, It's impolite and, again, it's wasting other people's time. So focus on the agenda and stay on track. Good. And the last point is actually following on from the one that you just made, Chris, which is respecting people's time. Because uh, one of the things about doing an, uh, an online meeting is that it does involve a lot of people, p- uh, potentially, for uh, for a period of time. And they're tied up because it's a, what do we call it? We call it, it's an immediate form of communication rather exactly. than preferred. So people do have to be there for their time. And so your job, whatever role you're playing in the call, is to respect their time. So be succinct. So whatever information you need to present, present it clearly and in a structured way. If you do need to send uh, a lot of information that people can read in advance or watch in advance, then send it to them beforehand so that you don't have to waste their time during the call. And don't uh, allow the conference, uh, the conversation to stray off topic. So one thing we didn't, didn't actually mention, Chris, but you should always do in any sort of meeting is have an agenda so that people know what the purpose of the meeting is and also what topics are going to be covered. So make sure that you stick to the agenda and that you stick to the purpose of the meeting. Fantastic. So that's our 10 tips. So to wrap things up, uh, a reminder that if you want to uh, get a one-page guide that contains all of these tips, then visit betterconferencecalls.com. And again, we should thank Brandon Munro for uh, the effort that he put into this, along with you, Gihan, to uh, write that, that one-page guide and the Better Conference Calls book. And we talk about this kind of material for in our Cooperate With Them chapter of the Out of Office book. Do you want to work from virtually anywhere? The internet makes it possible, and the book Out of Office shows you how. 
Get your copy at outofofficebook.com and get more convenience, comfort, and freedom in your work life. I mentioned content marketing earlier, and content marketing is also the theme this month for Leverage You, which is my online program for members of my eGurus community. I'll show you how to create high-quality content fast and then spin it into different formats, which you can then publish online in different places. So the idea is that people who see the content recognize its value, put it to use, and then contact you for additional products and services. And when they do contact you, they already see you as an expert and authority, so you don't have to work anywhere near as hard to make a sale. Now, if you're a member of the eGurus community, you get access to leverage you automatically. If you're not a member, please join. It's just $55 a month. You get access to me and many of my resources, including, as I said, the Leverage You program. Are you a speaker, trainer, coach, consultant, or thought leader? If you'd like to use the internet to get more business or deliver your material, join the eGurus community. Find out more and sign up at eGurus.info. So that's it for Expert Girl Radio this month. I hope you enjoyed it and learned something that you can use in your business. Next month, I'll be talking to Paul Archer about how the internet has changed the world of selling. So look out for that soon. You've been listening to Expert Gold Radio. If you'd like to subscribe, read the show notes, or leave your comments, visit expertgoldradio.com. And remember, great minds don't think alike.